Um, I'm going to jump right into embarrassment this morning because I feel like sometimes when you embarrass yourself, it sticks. And so I want to show you a picture. Uh, this is me in middle school and early in high school uh, as a basketball player. Yes, I know, I went there. Uh, and so it's kind of ridiculous, but it is what it is. I loved basketball growing up, just had a super desire to play and wasn't always the best, but I felt like I kept getting better and better and better. And now you can remove that picture so they get the point. Um, but here's what happened. And I, I didn't really ever try out for the middle school team because uh, I had some surgeries done on my legs. And I tried out for it one year and thought, oh, this will be easy. And I didn't make the team. And I just kept playing and playing and playing. And I thought, oh, my freshman year, this will be the year I'm going to get on the team. And I've, I've worked. I've worked really hard. And I remember that long walk from the, the coach's door not seeing my name on that list. And I was mad. I was really, really mad. I was angry. I was frustrated. I was like, seriously, a whole another year of missing what I thought I could do. And I, I, didn't, I didn't get to be a part of it. And so I stomped away upset. But for some reason, I felt compelled to go ask that freshman coach, what was he thinking? And, 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 and I honestly did go to him and say that, not in a mean way. I just said, why? I went to him. I remember going, and, and after tryouts were over, and I just said, why? why? Why am I not on that list, and why didn't I make the team? Can you explain to me? And he goes, do, do you want to know? And I said, yeah. He said, well, the mechanics of your shot is just not where it's supposed to be as a freshman in high school. He said, the way you shoot the ball, the way you do, it, if you want to go further in this game, you're going to have to change everything about your shot. But I'm like, but it goes in. <laughs> and uh, he was like, it doesn't matter. If you want to play further on, if you want to move on from this spot as a freshman, you have to change the mechanics of your shot. And if you are a basketball player in this room, for someone to tell you, you have to change everything about the way you put the ball in the basket, the hardest part of everything, it was like starting over. It was like starting again. And so I remember walking away from that office and and uh, John Shea can tell you how long that hall was that all the coaches' offices were. And it's a long walk. And I just remember being, I can't, I can't change everything, start over, relearn. How in the world am I supposed to do this? Long story short, I did the work. I put it in, and I didn't even end up playing JV my sophomore year. Went right to varsity. It was a, long, it was a very cool story of how God did things changed things, and I remember one of the first days of varsity practice as the season began, the freshman coach came up to me and he goes, dude, I'm so sorry for overlooking you. I didn't realize what I, and I, was, I could have said, you're right, but I didn't. Because his words to me changed everything. It didn't just change the game for me, it changed my game. Like, it changed everything and sent me on a trajectory where I could have done a couple of things. I could have responded, and, I, and I, as I wrestled with it, I could have responded in four different ways. I could have said, I'm not even going to ask. I'm not even going to talk to this coach. He's clearly a dumb-dumb and has no idea what he's thinking, and I'm, I'm right, he's wrong, and everybody that's telling me I should have made the team, they're on my side, and anyone else who has anything other to say, they're wrong. And so I could have walked away and said no. Or I could have gone to him and said, why? And then just been like, yeah, whatever, and walked out. 
Or, or I could have gone and said, why? And then I could have heard what he had to say and say, thank you for that, and then not changed a thing. Or I could have said, why? I could have heard what he had to say, and I could have addressed the things that needed to be addressed. See, it's, it's very interesting to me to recognize the power of words. And I will tell you honestly, and you may probably agree in this, nothing has affected my walk more as a Christ follower than words. Think about it. How are you where you are today? Were people silent around you? Did no one say anything to you? I would, I would assume that for most of us, nothing has affected our walk with Christ more than words. Words are so powerful that they can, they can cause laughter, they can cause tears, they can cause anger, they can cause everything all over. They can start wars and they can end wars. Words have the power to transform us. You know what, you've been there. As, a, as someone who's at a down place in life, and then somebody comes along and encourages you, the game has changed. You've been there. You've been beginning a task. Maybe you wanted to start getting good at something. Maybe you came and took an Elevate class, and, and maybe you wanted to learn knitting, and you're just like, my fingers will never click the needles good enough to, to make something. And then someone who's experienced tells you, no, you just keep at it, and you've got it. You've got it. You've got it. And it makes you go, I can do this. Some of you have heard very hard words from people. And when they are true, they have the power to transform, don't they? See, when people say all the easy stuff to you, that doesn't always bring the transformation. For me, some of the very hardest words have brought most of the change, if we'll hear them. And if there is power in the words spoken by people to people, how much more powerful are the words of God spoken to people. I mean, we, we're, we're here to say, yes, this people-to-people -people word stuff, it affects us, it shapes us, it changes us. But if God exists, if He is real, if this is true, if, how much more powerful the word of God spoken to His people. You and I have been in a, in a little bit of a, a series of why. I, I told you last week that I'm not the guy who likes to always try and get things done. I'm the guy who likes to ask why. Why are we doing these things? What is the purpose behind doing these things? What's the motivation behind doing all these things? And last week we talked about worship and why we, why we actually in the gathering need to speak of the greatness of God. And this week, the question of why would we put ourselves in a place to consistently hear from this book. Why? Why would we do that? Why would we subject ourselves to the words, teachings, claims, declarations found in here? Why don't we spend more time talking about positivity or us or what we want or what we think or what we feel? They're all legitimate questions because there are people who only want to do those things. So why would we at Highland take time every week to not focus on our abilities or our weaknesses or our strengths or what we feel or what we want or what we think as most important, but we would put God's word at the top of everything we do, the songs we sing, the prayers we pray, the communion that we take, the response, the, the scriptures, all of it points us to the word of God. 
But before we move on, I do want to acknowledge that there are some of you that have a major hang-up with the Bible. You, you have a key question, how do I know that I can trust this text? And I do not this morning have time to go through all of the valid questions that are rolling around in your head and heart. Uh, at, the end, at the beginning of the school year this year, we did a series called Foundations, and I went through, can we trust that this text says what it's supposed to say, and am I hearing what I'm supposed to hear from the authors? It was at the beginning of school year, maybe August or September, I don't remember the date. But if you are at that place where you're like, I don't even know if I can trust that book, I want you not to use it as a smokescreen, but I want you to pursue the answers to those questions. If you don't, run after the answer. Don't sit. Don't let it roll around. Don't think you have it all put together. There are people much smarter than you and I who have done a lot of work. And it's available. And if your hang-up is, I don't know if I can trust that text, get into some conversations with some people that do, that can help you walk that journey. I'd, be lo- I'd love to walk alongside of you as you wrestle with those questions because I think they're some of the most important. Because if you and I can trust the pages that this is written on, the deeper question goes, can I trust the words that are housed within this text? That's really the deeper question. I think that most of us are probably wrestling with even at this moment. We might be like, yeah, I think, I think the Bible is the Bible, but man, I don't know about the words in there. Some of it applies to me, some of it doesn't, some of it's mine, some of it's not. And so we're wrestling with the, the words on the pages. So this morning might not answer all of your objections or questions about the Bible, but my prayer is that for the believer, for the one who has said in their heart, Jesus is Lord and his word is valuable, this morning I hope you will be strengthened, reminded, and reassured. And for those of you in this room who are journeying in this thing of faith and you don't know what you believe, you don't know about this Jesus, I hope that it'll give you a better grip or understanding of why Christ followers subject themselves to the Word of God. The Word of God has the final say in the life of a believer. There's really no other way to say it. It's got the final word. Even when I wrestle with it, even when I struggle with it, at the end of the day, I say, God, your Word is true. And so when I don't agree with something and I, it hits me wrong, then, Lord, you have to deal with me. It's not for me to chuck it out. It's for me to go, Lord, change my heart. Because if your word is true, and I find myself in disagreement with truth, who's out of line? These are the valid questions that we wrestle with. And so for you this morning as the believer, for you the person who may be journeying and going, I don't know about the Bible, I hope you'll have a better understanding as to why we as believers say that the word of God, the word of God has final say in authority in our lives. So if you don't mind, I'd really just love to pray, because I do believe it's the Spirit who does that. Father... I ask that in these moments that by your power and by your spirit and by your strength, you'd speak to us. Lord, you would meet our hard hearts and they would become, as the children said, Play-Doh, in your hands. Lord, where we are hardened and stale and crispy on the outside of our hearts, Lord, would you, would you reach through that? And replace our hard-hearted hearts, our stone hearts, with a heart of flesh, with a moldable heart that you can instruct and you can guide. 
because you love us so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Um, often when we talk about God's word, Hebrews 4.12 comes to mind, which is the one that, that Becca read. Let's just read it. We can, you can see it right here. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our inmost thoughts and desires. And at this point in the conversation, you might be saying, why? Why is the word living and active? Why does it need to be so sharp? Why the cutting? Why the exposing? These are all words I do not like to hear, so why would we go near something that does something so painful? I mean, I, when I look at it, I'm like, what, man, the Bible being a sword? I don't know if I necessarily like that idea. Exposing things? I don't know if I like that. Th- I don't, truth? I don't know, because as John said, I'm rebellious, and I'm stubborn, and I'm fickle. So we need the sword. And I hope that you'll see why. Getting right to the point, if I I have one thing to say about the Bible, about the Word of God, is very simply, the Word of God reveals God. And I don't know for some of you if that's good news or not. I think that for for some of us, we really are on this journey towards, man, I understand that there is something greater at work. There's something out there. There's something moving around. There's something doing something. And I'm just kind of going through the motions. And so I'm saying that that the, the word of God, what we believe as Christ followers, is that God is removing the guesswork from the creation who wants to worship something. And he's saying, look no further. I'm him. Not only does the scripture reveal that God is God, but it also reveals to his creation how we enjoy God. Have you ever thought about that for a split second? That the word of God really does call you and I to understand how to enjoy that he is God. Why we don't enjoy him is because we think we find greater enjoyment in the things of this world. And so when Jesus makes a statement like, I'm the door, you know, I am the way, he's not making this belligerent, smash you announcement. He's saying, I'm removing the guesswork and I want you to know these things so that you can enjoy him, the one who created you and made you to walk with him. The word of God reveals God and not only does it reveal that, but it shows us where we've chosen to enjoy him least when we were made to enjoy him most. This is the hearts coming to life as the word of God is spoken to us. So not assuming that everyone in this room believes in God, I don't want to assume that. But on this journey towards faith and towards belief, if you've made it past the step of, okay, I think there is a God, the logical next step question is, what is he like? What does he demand from his creation? How can I interact with him? These are the steps that cause us to to look for those answers. Rather than guessing, God says, here, I'm going to explain a few things to you. And so as Christ followers, we believe that the Lord reveals himself in three ways in particular. The first being creation. 
In Romans chapter 1, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Do you know that when you stand before, you know, on a mountaintop and look out over the, the, the valleys or at the Grand Canyon or you stand at the ocean at, when it's dark and you're just taken aback and you're, the last thing you're thinking about is yourself. You're thinking about how small you are, if anything, creation was given to do that. Creation was not given to us so that you and I will think so highly of ourselves. Creation was given so that you and I will feel about this big. We do. Creation helps us see that we are not creator. It's why there are people who in this city want to worship creation because they see how incredible it is. They are not far off. Some of us could take a, 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 a lesson from some of them in their value of the, the way creation is. Now, yes, they're worshiping creation and not the creator, but for them, they see the value of creation, how big it is. And what was so, what was so cool was this morning, and, I, and I've said this before, as I was taking my dog out, still dark, really quiet in my neighborhood, it was so cool because the wind just started blowing like it, as I was taking the dog out, and it was rustling the trees, and it was the reminder that the wind, it doesn't, I think it's, I don't think it's coincidence, but at the wind blowing and at the waves crashing, the sound that they make, shh, how I love that. You know why I need God to be like, shh, because I often think of myself all the time. I need to be reminded that God is bigger, God is grander, God is greater than all the things that I can consider of myself, and that it is very good when I feel very small, because it makes me aware that there is a very great creator God. And as I told you, the next steps in belief would be, what is he like if he does exist? So we see that the scripture Christ followers believe that creation reveals God. The scriptures do say those things, obviously in Romans, but the Psalms talk about the heavens declaring the works of God. So when you stand before creation and feel insignificant, let it happen. That's all I can say. <laughs> Don't try and talk yourself up. Don't try and boast about who you are. Just go, I feel so small. And that's okay. Second way we see that, that God reveals himself is through Scripture. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 typically comes to mind, all scripture is inspired by God. Now, does the text that you and I consider so highly need to say that it was written by God? Yes, it does. This is not a way, for those of you who like to try and convince people of the Bible, you don't want to go to the Bible and tell them the Bible wrote, it is written by God. That's it, that's it, that's it, it's done. If they don't believe the scripture, you're going to have to dig a little deeper and go a little further. But for the Christ follower, the one who believes that God is who he says he is, he's going to do what he says he's going to do, does the text that we hold so dearly need to say that God wrote it? Yes, it does. It does. It is an announcement that we find comfort in, that we begin to go, that's, he said it. I just want to make sure we're listening to this because it's the word of God, because it's his. I need to know that he spoke these things. Now, does this mean that God finished penning it in heaven, threw it down to earth, hot off the presses, come and get it? No, it doesn't mean that. 
does not mean that. And as Ms. Becca said, it was inspired by the word, by God. Yes, as men penned things. I, I, I don't understand why there's an argument. When somebody says to me, well, did you know man wrote the Bible? Yes. Your argument is invalid. <laughs> but inspired by the Spirit of God, the Word of God given to us. And as I said, I don't have time to go over the validity of the text and all those things. You can go back and listen to that sermon. It's available. You can listen to it. You can read. There's others who have spent much more time in greater depth than I ever can or ever will in talking about this Word. But for Christ's followers to know and hear that the Word we hold, we hold true and we actually say, has, has say over our life, it is important that the text says that God spoke it to us. So we pay attention. At the, the more you go into depth in 2 Timothy 3, starting in verse 15, you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. Timothy uh, is someone who Paul has been investing in, and Paul is writing to him. And they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. First thing about Scripture points to Jesus. Verse 16, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful, here we go, to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. We don't like that. It corrects us. Uh, we don't like that when we are wrong. We don't like that and teaches us to do what is right. Now, verse 17 is huge in the life of a believer. God uses it to prepare and equip his people. Okay, so for those of you in this room who would say, I don't, I'm not his, I don't believe in Jesus, I don't have any faith, you know what, that's fine. My prayer is that you will understand that he is true, that he is who he says he is, and that you will wrestle with the questions that are presented to you today. We'll, we'll be here to walk with you, talk with you, answer, sit, pray, journey, do life with you. We have a phrase here at Highland that says, belong before you believe. We're not going to be asking for spiritual ID cards, checking you at the door. We're going to walk with you, journey with you, wherever you're at in life. But for those of us who have come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is who he says he is, as we read the word of God, we understand that it prepares and equips us to do every good work. So to be, to be reading statistics that one out of three Christians in the United States claiming to be Christians never reads God's word. Is it a wonder the church isn't effective in her work here in the United States? When you read the statistic that two out of ten Christians read their Bible every day. Is it a wonder? Now, granted, here's the thing. The church has failed at trying to help people understand how to study the Bible. So I know when people sit down and go, I don't get anything. I don't know what I'm just reading. I don't know. But here's the thing. Are you putting yourself in a place to have it teach you? Because he will. When you put yourself in a place on a regular basis of taking in the word of God, he will teach you. And it is amazing what he's able to accomplish through his word. For us, we see that God created as believers. So that means I'm not creator. You know that? Did you know that? Did you know that you're not creator? It's fascinating that you have to announce that to people, but we have to have that announcement made to us. <laughs> he's creator. Not only is he creator of all that we see, but he, in Genesis we also see that he created you and I. So creator, creature. Creator, creature. I was made by him 
for him, through him. This is what scripture says. This is what is revealed to us as we sit under the word of God. Do you know there are some who have a problem with being creature? Right? We have a problem being creature. What do we like to do? God, you have no idea what you're doing. You made me wrong. We do that. But the creator says, well, come to me with all that. Come to me with all of that. Not only in, do we see that God created humans, but he, we rebelled. So you know that tendency to not want to hear about God? That's all our natural position. <laughs> we don't want to know. We don't want his ways. We want our own ways. That's what sin does. So as you sit there and go, I don't want to hear this, welcome to the club. <laughs> welcome to the club. That is the natural position all of us sit in. I don't want to hear what God has to say. After generations of people rejecting God and evil growing all over the earth, we find a small nation, the center of his love. And at God's rescue of Israel, coming out of Egypt, God decides to step in and say, this is who you're dealing with. And in Exodus chapter 34, this is how he reveals himself to Moses and the people of Israel. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him, and he called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not... Excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. Moses immediately threw himself to the ground and worshipped. Now, I don't know about you, but I have always found I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. A fascinating text. I mean, if you're not paying attention, which you may not be, that's okay. But the point is, it sounds like God is saying two things, doesn't it? It sounds like he says, I forgive, but I don't excuse the guilty. I've always been confused by that, and we'll get to that in just a second. The psalmist echoes this understanding of the character of God in Psalm 11. For the righteous Lord loves justice. The virtuous will see his face. The scripture reveals who God is. But not only does the scripture reveal who God is, it reveals who Jesus is. And this is why, this is why we can read these words and understand how God forgives but does not excuse the guilty. In Isaiah 53 in the Old Testament, nearly 600 years before Jesus walked on the earth, he says this, Isaiah says this, of, of Jesus, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Who's him? Jesus. In the New Testament, after Jesus has died and resurrected, First Peter makes mention of this very same verse in verse 24 of chapter 2. 
He personally, Jesus, carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. The book of Hebrews, starting in verse 1, helps us understand more about who Jesus is. And if you don't have a high view of Jesus, spend some time in Hebrews. Hebrews is a, is a letter that is written that is all about Jesus is better. And so he establishes that in, in Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And through the son, he created the universe. The son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name, of, name God gave him is greater than their names. The scriptures reveal Jesus. Jesus reveals God. So if you are looking at God through a lens without Christ, you are not getting an accurate picture of God. You've got a false view of who God is. If you do not look through the lens of Jesus, you will not get an accurate picture of who God is. You can't understand how he can forgive sin, but not excuse the guilty. God did not excuse the guilty. He did not sweep our sin under a rug. In fact, he poured out all of his judgment, all of the wrath for sin uh, against him firstly on Jesus so now you and I can understand the picture of, of him forgiving, but not excusing. It was all poured out on Jesus. And as in, in 1 John, we can see more of this story in chapter 4, verse 8. But anyone who does not, does not love does not know God. For God is love. God, shout, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God. Did you hear that? You did not love him. I did not love him. We loved ourselves. That's what we want more than anything in the world. And God said, even though you don't, I will love you first that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. The scripture reveals God, our struggle with sin, our need for a savior, and what's been done to bring us back into relationship with him. 1 Peter chapter 1. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. And it's in Christ that we see this more and more. First Timothy 2. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is one God, one mediator, who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. 
So now you and I can acknowledge the way the psalmist responds to God in Psalm 145. The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. And so why? Why the scripture as we gather? Why is it so important that we hear this story, this narrative, these words, these commandments, these these things that are spoken from the scriptures? Just a few verses before Hebrews 4.13, we see the same story I just told you. The author of Hebrews explains very simply, and I love it how he opens up chapter 3 of Hebrews. He says, think carefully about this Jesus. I love that, I love that phrasing because I think some of us don't. I think some of us do our thing and then we go. But the author of Hebrews describes Jesus in a way that doesn't give us room to kind of go, that's eh, periphery stuff, it's on the outskirts, I can do that later. No, he says, think carefully. He says, think carefully about this Jesus. Then the author shares the struggles that Israel had consistently hardening their hearts to God. And the result was many of those people before the promised land did not inherit the promised land. As the ones who did stepped over the dead bodies of those who did not, who disobeyed the word of God, who ran from it, who hardened their hearts to it. The author of Hebrews turns it from Israel and then points directly to our hearts. In verse 12 of Hebrews 3, Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, speaking to the church, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Remember what it says today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. Our ears need to hear, believe, and respond to God's word as it addresses unbelief and our hearts, idols in our hands, and sin in our lives. This is why we subject ourselves to the Word of God, because we know how quickly we will run to other things. Our hearts hardened and filled with unbelief, not belief. This is why we put ourselves in a position to hear His words, because we are so good at not. And the author of Hebrews gives good warning as to why we need the Word of God doing what it does. Listen to verse 12. For the Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before His eyes, and He is the one to whom we are accountable. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. If there is a God, what is he like? If we are his creation, how do we interact with creator? If God has a plan, what is it? 
Why does the word need to be alive? Because the words were not written for just them, but you and I. Why does the word need to be powerful? Because our idols try to display a false power that we will live with until we hear, oh man, they are not as powerful as I thought they were. They are not as effective as I thought they were. They are not as satisfying as I thought they were. And where do we go to hear that? The word of God. Why does it need to be sharper, cutting, and exposing? The word of God sifts out the seeds of unbelief and hardened hearts before it is too late. Do you know that? Do you believe that the word of God would desire to rescue you from a fate? From a fate that would be destructive and being game over, ultimately. Do you believe that the word of God reaches to our heart before it is too late? The word aims directly at our heart because that is where we wander from God first. As the band comes and we close this morning, the scripture can be a very painful book to read through. I am not going to lie. The scripture can be painful because it addresses my false thoughts, my false views, my thoughts that I, I have been living for so long. And then when I see it painted that there is another way, yes, it is going to frustrate and anger me. But as the scripture uncovers our sin, it points us to the one who covers us. that simple. The scripture uncovers our sin, which we do not love, but the scripture points us to the one who covers us, which we do love. We rejoice in that. We find hope in that. We find rescue in that, knowing that as the Lord peels back the layers of my heart and exposes the secret things that dwell in there, he still extends to me mercy and grace. And so as the psalmist says in Psalm 32, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. What if you could live completely honest? What if you didn't have to put masks on? What if you didn't have to pretend? What if you didn't have to think you were stronger than you really are? What if you stood before creation and you were like, I really am smaller than I think I am? And being okay with that. When I refuse to confess my sin, here's the thing, when I refuse to confess my sin, my body wasted away. And I groaned all day long. Some of you, man, you're sick with sin. You're just letting it stay. You're hiding it. You're refusing to come to the Lord with it. You're refusing to let people in on your journey. And it is killing you. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. And then I love how in the Psalms, it just says, interlude. Because I believe we were created to think on this 
I believe we were meant to pause to hear those words. I believe we were meant to sit still, pause everything else because of the weight of the words we just heard. But since we don't like to do that, I'll read on. Verse 5, finally, I confessed all my sins to you and you stopped and to you and stop trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. First John says it this way, if we claim to have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Folks, I just want to help you understand something. Confession is not that thing that you do to come to know Christ. Confession is a gift to the believer. Repentance is the thing that happens in our hearts when we turn from our ways and turn to the Holy Spirit and run to Christ. Confession is a daily practice. And I'm not talking about for the Christ follower, you having to go sit in a booth, talk through a a screen. That's not what I'm talking about. But it's when we confess our sins one to another and we confess our sins to God that there is freedom in that. And it is a gift to you and I as his people. There's an image I want to show you, and this is the direction society has taken the word of God, and this is called the likable Bible. And the phrase that they have tagged their website with, while God is busy judging us, let's judge his words. I know some of you are like, that's messed up. It is. But that is how society looks at Scripture. And the sadder part of that is that is how some of the church views the Scripture. And for you and I, really, our desire is not to master the Bible. Our desire, if I can put it bluntly, is to be mastered by it. Our desire is to allow the Word of God to have final say in every and all things. And you know, I see these videos of people who have never heard the Word of God or never had a text in their own language, and then they get it, and they freak out. Like, they get the books, and they just start dancing and singing and weeping. I mean, like, there's this one image of this, uh, uh, of this uh, one nation where this woman gets this Bible, and she just falls down on her knees, and she just starts praising. I didn't understand a word she was saying, but I'm in tears the whole time I'm watching it, because I'm sitting there going, that is incredible. Like, this, this love for a word they've never even heard before. This love for these, these, these pages that tell the story of who they were meant to be and who they were meant to know, and they're dancing and they're singing and they're feasting on it. It's not because it's going to be everything they want to hear, but it's going to be everything they need to hear. That's why we run to the scripture. I'm telling you, I don't want to hear it every time I come in here on Sunday morning, and I'm the friggin' pastor. but I know I need to hear it. We need to sit under the word of God and allow it to do what it does, teaching, training, correcting, 
rebuking, equipping. And to be excited about it all at the same time. And so this morning, have you ever put yourself in a position to be disturbed by the word of God? I hope you will. I hope you will put yourself in a place to be uncomfortably disturbed and disrupted in your life by the word of God. Because it may not be what you want to hear, but it is what we need to hear. This morning, we will close as we do every week. There are some elders and some gel leaders that will be standing over there ready to just pray for you. You don't even have to tell them what you need prayer for, but they'll, I'll be over there doing the same. But if you're at a place where you're just like, I don't know what to do and I want to respond, we leave this space open and you don't even have to ask anybody or talk to anybody. But if you want to say, I want to be prayed for, they're available. I'm available to start more conversations, continue through the week. But if you just want to do business and say, Lord, I, stir in me a love for your word. Altar is always open, space, there's a cross, every, any, whatever you need to do to respond to the word of God. Father, just thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you that you removed the guesswork and you wanted your creation to know who you were. You revealed yourself to us through your words. May we be a people hungry for this word because it's what we need. In Jesus' name.